I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Hello, hello. I hope y'all are having yet another phenomenal week. I am really excited for this week's conversation. It is all about art. This week has been a really tough week for me. I've been reading this amazing book called A Little Life and it has thrown me for a loop. And I've had a few other situations that have happened recently that have just really been making me feel my emotions. And I would say maybe this is the first time I've ever been in a space where I've been open to doing that. And because of that, I have felt this creative urge to create as much as possible. I want to be podcasting every day. I want to be journaling and writing and painting and drawing and and whatever I can to express myself, not through just sitting there feeling the emotions, but actually using it to create something. There's just something inside of me that's calling me to do that. And so the last few weeks, I've just really been thinking about what is art? What does it do for us? What is the purpose of it? And so to give a little more insight into the beauty of art, I have two wonderful guests to speak with today, Sasha Sherman and Claire Morrissey. They're both associate professors at the Occidental College in California, and Sasha is a professor of cognitive science, and Claire is a professor of philosophy. I wanted to begin the conversation by asking, what is art? All right, Sasha, you want to you want to start off? <laughs> yeah, I can start off with that. So, I think this is a really thorny question, and um, we we can sometimes struggle with answering it and kind of go down a rabbit hole. So, I want to get us into a place where we sort of feel like we have a clear sense of where we stand on what art is. So, mm. we tend to think of art in a broad and inclusive way. So when we think of it, we we mean to include a broad range of arts, things like the visual arts, music, literature, performing arts, film, and so on. So kind of any of those different categories. And then a lot of times when people um, refer to the arts, they're also making kind of a distinction that has been historically made as well between something like fine art and craft um, and Oftentimes when you think of like the fine arts, you might have like a sort of elite view of what that means. Um, And sometimes that tends towards like thinking about art created for its own sake rather than for like a specific purpose in mind. Mm. We don't, we think that this is like, this is a pretty, there's a pretty contested territory here between classifying between fine art and craft and we're not, Um, we don't tend to do that. I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a sense of what people might do when they're referring to different kinds of arts. For us, a really important distinction um, when we define art is that we think of art as functional. That kind of refers back to this paper that you were thinking through when um, you read our work. And what we mean by functional is not that art that art doesn't necessarily have some intrinsic essential set of features 
So we don't think that like something that makes art art is that it's beautiful, but rather what we think is that we look at the role that art plays in people's lives and in our mm. social and in, in our social world. So like the function itself. Some people might think that there's a psychological role that it plays. Some people might think there's like a social communicative role that it plays. And that's the thing we care about is what is it that art is doing rather than mm. what are the intrinsic features that art has. Interesting. And so by that definition, so for example, I have seen, so I used to sing uh, classical Indian music, for example. And I think one of the be most beautiful experiences I had with that is as I learned, my teacher would teach me to like start thinking and getting more in tune with like these really small details that if you just weren't exposed to that, you would never, you'd completely miss. And so I think that this doesn't only extend to classical Indian music, but it could even be for something like walking, maybe, maybe there's like a certain way in which you're so attuned to like every step that in that in itself also becomes artistic in a way. Is that possible through this definition where anything, when, once you start aligning yourself in that way can become art? That's a great question. Some, some philosophers think that um, not that anything can become art, but um, anything can be an aesthetic experience. Right. So that, and there's some really interesting work like on, yeah, taking a walk and the way in which being in the world in particular ways that are highly attuned to its, uh, its specific features um, becomes like the experience of an artwork. I suspect that walking itself might not be because of the, on the creative side, right? Like mm. um, rather than just the receptive side, because when we're talking about the arts, right? We're talking both about creating something intentionally that has this function and then like receiving it. Um, mm. And so um, I think some of like the example of like walking, walking intentionally might be putting yourself in a position to view the world as if it had been created for that. Mm. Um, uh, so would that you not, yeah, that is, so would you not consider <laughs> like, for example, uh, even the, the, you have created the act of actually moving your legs. Does not, not does that not count as creation? It totally. Look, so if you want to be a conceptual artist and like take a walk as an artwork, I I will grant it. <laughs> but I suspect <laughs> that like walking intentionally, just merely walking intentionally, is probably not engaging in a mm. kind of making of an artwork. Does that make okay. sense? Sasha? Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah, I think it. Yeah. So, so. And I think there's probably you know, an artful way in which one can walk, right? Mm -hmm. And, and there's a lot of, and this kind of takes us down this rabbit hole, of like art can be anything, art is completely subjective. And I think in some ways that can be true, right? But because there's an artful way of experiencing the world and, and of receiving um, information. And, and that I think that comes up too in like some of the processes that are some of the kind of brain processes and psychological processes and social processes that unfold as you experience an artwork seem to sort of mirror some of the um, processes that you're describing, these kind of intentional experiences of the world, um, slow kind of experiences. So I, I think we grant that, the, that there's definitely similarities in the processes, um, but perhaps, um, I like Claire's distinction too of like, it's it's certainly plausible that an artist could decide that anything kind of goes 
in terms of what they're creating. But it probably isn't the case that every single thing out there mm. in the world is art. Also, psychologists tend, we tend to like sort of not even care sometimes about like the philosophical distinctions about like what is art and what isn't art and sort of care a lot about what people think art is. Mm. So like if you think that what you're doing is making art, then that seems okay, right, to grant as art. Um, so perhaps if you're taking a walk and you're like, I'm making art during this walk, it can be considered that way. Mm -hmm. And we can study it as such. And maybe we can, as psychologists, kind of think through, well, what, what is it about the experience that you're describing that has any sort of similarities to other kinds of art making processes or other mm. kinds of art experiencing processes? And I think those would be the things we would be thinking about, like, you know, the intentionality, the slow pace, um, the way in which you're probably engaging particular emotional centers, et cetera. Mm. Very, yeah. I mean, it's fat. I mean, art is fat. I mean, just creation, it, it's something I'm really trying to step into in, in this phase of my life right now, where it's just like um, something just calls to you, where you're like, you know, this is the only thing that just feels right in this moment. And, and I, I, I would like to express myself in, in whatever way. And so you talk about what art does for the person, like what, what, so what, what is that? So are they feeling, so what, what does art do for the individual? Yeah. We think it does a lot of things and we think that those things yeah. are um, that the things that it does are kind of fundamental to what makes us. Some people think the things that the things that art does are like fully fundamental to making us uniquely human. Mm. Um, and even like that the arts are a biological necessity in a way. Um, but we think that there is at least a few really important things that the arts do. Um, that make them really just make them really important to us in our in our lives in our everyday lives and are really important for our flourishing as happy healthy people mm -hmm. so one of the the kind of major things that i think we think about is that the arts are a way in which we can deepen our understanding about the world the world being Define, kind of broadly defined here, but particularly we think the arts help us understand ourselves better. They help us understand other people better. They help us form these kind of social connections and deepen the way in which we can imagine. Um, and then through, the, that, through that kind of lens, then promote these really crucial properties that have to do with happiness, flourishing, health, well-being. That's the kind of broad picture. And we think there's a lot of evidence that suggests that that's the case too, both philosophical evidence that shows that the arts are a way to deepen our knowledge and understanding of the world. And there's also scientific claims that kind of make that suggestion as well. Hmm. So um, I'll just give you a a experience that I had. So I was walking through the Louvre a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, there's this obvious fascination with the Mona Lisa 
And it's, it's fascinating because all the other paintings around it to, to, to me all look really amazing too. Right. And it's kind of fascinating <laughs> how a lot of times without necessarily even understanding why, I mean, I have no idea why the Mona Lisa is, is as, uh, as popular or expensive as it is, but you know, we all kind of just play the game of, okay, well it's fancy. And I know everyone's supposed to be think it's fancy. And so <laughs> here I am, like I waited in a really long line to see this and now I'm here. And so when you talk about this experience of art, are we only talking about the creation of it, but also are, but also the experience of it? Are they two different forms of art? Yeah, yeah, we are. We do think that there's an important distinction between creation and appreciation. Um, they're they're clearly two sides of the same coin. But when we're talking about why the arts matter, we tend to focus on the appreciation side, right? So, what do we get out of engaging with? the practices mm. of art, the, the kind of practices of art, <laughs> of art creation and production. Um, yeah, not just, not just the person making, but also the kind of receiving side. So, yeah. Yeah. And so are, is, are, are the experiences different in, in what you have seen? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to defer to Sasha who has empirical okay. things to say are you, of my... <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll I'll just clarify with your question too. Are you asking? So I think we focus on appreciation and what, particularly like what does appreciation do, art appreciation do for us? And we focus on that more than we focus on the kind of making and creativity side, partly because it's a lot more understudied in a way. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot less work trying to you know, argue that art appreciation does things for us beyond things like, you know, pleasurable experiences, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of work out there, both empirical and philosophical that tends to think about, you know, these, the aesthetic and like our preferences, like, why do we like the things we like? Or yeah. um, what makes this, be what makes this artwork beautiful? Mm -hmm. um, and kind of thinking about the feature. So maybe, um, Maybe if we like start talking about, you know, your experience of the Mona Lisa, I could tell you about some of the scientific evidence that is now being pointed to about like how it is that um, our eyes receive her like elusive smile and her like very um, kind of interesting eyes that seem to follow you around this, this sort of maybe like cliche experiences mm -hmm. that people describe when they talk about the Mona Lisa. Um, but there's kind of less, there's a lot less work that's focusing on trying to unpack what it is that art appreciation does for us beyond those kind of mm. aesthetic experiences. And that doesn't mean, we don't mean to say there that those aesthetic experience don't exist or that they are not meaningful or useful in any kind of way. But we kind of tend to, we're, we're aiming to kind of look beyond those and try to unpack whether there are other ways in which the arts, what in, in which art appreciation could do something really meaningful for us, like help us actually hmm. gain particular forms of knowledge. And so okay, going back to- yeah, going back to your question of like, are the experiences of making distinct from the experiences of of um, appreciating? I think that's like, wait, it maybe is like too broad. Like, I think the answer is like, definitely yes. 
right? Like there's definitely yeah. different different kind of processes that are engaged. There's also got to be similarities too, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there's some there's some like theorists, um, philosophers slash writers that I'm thinking of, like Claire that can unpack this better. But someone like Tolstoy, yeah. who like talked a lot about like the ultimate kind of art experience is one in which the artist, the artist's kind of emotional um, expression that they put into the work is fully experienced Mm. by the viewer. Mm -hmm. That's like, he kind of, I think he thought of that as like the ultimate transcendence, right? The ultimate way that you would experience a transformative experience with art is that you have this kind of shared resonance um, in your experience. So that like in that way, there's got there's some similarity, right? Like if I experience the same thing, I mean, how cool if I experience the same thing as like Da Vinci does when he's making yeah. Mona Lisa and I'm like falling in love with this woman who um, <laughs> he's painting. I think historically there have been like some crazy people who have like really fallen in love with Mona Lisa and stolen her <laughs> and like she was missing for a long time yeah, I heard about someone that. like put her under their bed and, oh i didn't know that's um, what they did with it <laughs> this comes from a clearly an art historian here <laughs> no not i don't uh, this is not my field but um just you know anecdotes that i've heard yeah yeah no oh, it's yeah, so fascinating that, that, yeah so when we talk about this appreciation, so I, I love that that's the focus now. Um, the, again, a personal experience, I feel like a lot of these things I've kind of had really cool journeys with. So, you know, growing up, movies were simply just entertainment. I was like, all right, I'm watching this. Cool. And then I had a friend who would like actually analyze the movie with me after watching it. And then I started to notice, I was like, movies are amazing. Like there's so many amazing questions you can ask about culture, about society, about just, you know, a million things. And and so it became this experience that no longer was just like, all right, I'm watching it. It's cool. Now I'm, I'm going to move on. And it became like an entire philosophical uh, discussion, every movie I watch. And so are there ways in which we can teach methodologies into appreciation or does that kind of just bring down the entire value of the is the appreciation something you're supposed to find yourself or is there like a abc this is how you appreciate it like how do we go yes. about this? somewhere in between those two <laughs> you can definitely <laughs> learn it but it's probably not a recipe <laughs> and and one of the major kind of um upshots of our work right is that when we're thinking about art education, we shouldn't just be thinking about creativity, but infusing education with the skills of appreciation as well, right? And so earlier you talked a lot about how there's like, throughout most of your education, you're, you're probably reading literature and we tend to pick up the skills of appreciation of literature more because of constant, um, more constant <laughs> uh, education and modeling of how to engage with storytelling in that way. But if you think about the visual arts, the dance, theater, film, right? Like those are often the way to interpret and understand and make sense of those art forms are often not taught in schools, right? They'll put a movie on, right? And like you were saying, it was like, I don't know, it's just a movie, um, right? Or like, I mean, I don't know about you all, but I was never given a dance class. <laughs> like I have no, like, I have no idea what I'm looking at when I'm looking at dance. Like I've I had to like really teach myself that. Um, or music, uh, music education is a little bit more robust, but it's often um, 
the appreciation isn't taught independently, right? And is only taught to students who are participating in the creation, right? Mm. And in part because like um, many of those technical skills are so difficult and take so long to, <laughs> to develop that the appreciation gets put to the side. So, I mean, exactly the point that we're, that we're after is that the intentional cultivation of our ability to engage with the arts broadly is something that ought to be taught, can be learned, can be developed. Um, and so some people have things kind of more like recipes, right? There's like, a, um, uh, uh, Sasha, I'm thinking about the like slow looking um, mm -hmm. approach. Maybe you have a better way of describing it that will give you like, at least for painting and visual arts, like here's something you can try if you want to learn how to do it for yourself. Um, but also all of our colleagues in, in the arts, in music history and art history, in theater and performance studies, they know how to teach this. It's just that it's not often taught um, in elementary, middle or high school. Mm. And it's really yeah. about learning, learning skills of attention and perception that we don't use a lot, right? Like really mm. how to listen to something um, and what you're listening to, <laughs> right? So if you think about music, like it does matter that you know something about music history, right? If you're listening to something you don't know that it's um, in 12 tone, right? Like, <laughs> like you don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, and so you can't know which details to pay attention to. So you were saying earlier when you were um, learning um, to sing, right? That, that your, your instructor was telling you to pay attention to really, really fine green things. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where the appreciation comes in too, right? Mm -hmm. And knowing the quality and the interest in the dimensions. Um, so, right. So some of it is knowing the arts you're engaging with. Some of it is learning, literally teaching your body to be able to perceive things, mm. your eyes, your ears. <laughs> um, yeah. Other, I mean, other things you can learn, Sash, that might not be recipe. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> that this question too is like of particular interest to us because as far as education goes, um, I think Claire already emphasized this really well is that like, I, I suppose there, there isn't, you know, a strong and consistent um, kind of art education anyway, whether it's making or appreciating throughout the kind of elementary um, up until high school, what is it? That, that, that form, that, that early education, there's not really consistent um, arts training in there in the first place, like the arts are not, are kind of deeply undervalued yeah. um, in, in a lot of ways, um, perhaps other than literature, which is great. And um, I think one of our really, yeah, one of our really important points is to suggest that we should be trying to teach alongside the making, we should be trying to teach appreciation as well. Um, and that that's just really crucial. And the, the kind of inconsistency of that is, is really problematic. I think the only things we can kind of, we, we can think of in terms of appreciation are like, you know, there's exposure to museums that you get on field trips when you're younger, mm -hmm. or like maybe yeah. you go on a trip to like a show to see some, play or theater in general, maybe some dance, but it's very, it's kind of hit or miss and it, it doesn't happen in any kind of systematic way. 
Mm. And so I think embedding that in some kind of systematic way, perhaps with making is great or independently of making is something that is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Teaching people how to, how to, what to look for, what to pay attention to, what questions to ask, or at least modeling how to ask questions and not, not just the question, do you like it? Right. But what did you see? What colors are involved? Mm. How are they related? Right. So like, it's, it's really about helping people to perceive, right. Kind of finely and richly um, that I think are the first steps towards um, the kind of appreciation that has the outcomes that uh, the functional outcomes that Sasha and I are really interested in, right. The imaginative capacities, the, re- the understanding of ourselves in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. You, okay. There was ah, so much going on in my head that I'm so excited to ask. Okay. So I wrote the two down. I don't know if they necessarily flow well together, but this is the first one. So I think a lot of times um, as you move through life and and you experience different events and feelings, and oftentimes you may not have been able to uh, properly process them. As you start experiencing this art, you're able to like channel those feelings into the art itself. I'm trying to think because this idea of appreciation, I, I don't even know if my, maybe my brain was capable in elementary school, but but I, I don't know if I, I, I even felt emotions like that to be able to like look at art and channel it through that. So in a way is a part of this appreciation training also getting people in touch with their own emotions and, and really feeling the full depth of them at which point they realize the words are no longer enough to express it and then they look further. Is there something to that? I think there's a lot to that. And I think there's that slow looking approach that Claire was describing is not something that we're used to doing in the first place. And that like, I think there's a misconception when we engage with art. So if we think about like visual art um, and we're just looking at this, you know, visual artwork up on the wall, there's this misconception that like, you'll look because our visual system processes stuff really quickly that you'll look and you'll be like, I get it, or I don't get it, right? And then you just kind of move on, but it's a slow process for adults too. It's not just like that you can understand all the things that are happening at once. So I think this, not just this idea of getting in tune with your emotions, but I think getting in tune with an intentional and slow approach to looking at the world and then Mm. a reflective approach rather than this kind of, um, very quick processing is what's really important. So now one of the things that um, is part of this slow looking approach is um, a, one suggestion. So I, I some, often have my students do this and this is from a exercise that um, an art historian at Harvard, um, Jennifer Roberts had wrote about. And she was basically like, I'm going to have my art history students go into a museum and pick an artwork, um, one artwork and sit in front of it for three hours Wow! and log their experience um, as they experience it. So like there's, there's the experience of time that you're sitting in front of this piece. I mean, of course, three hours might feel really excessive. And as you're thinking about it, you're like, I couldn't possibly do that. And I think the students think the same thing. Like, what could I possibly gain from looking at the same thing for three hours, right? And maybe you don't gain as much if it's just the time that's involved, but there's also this reflection that's supposed to happen as you go. So log your discoveries, really think, ask your questions and write those things down. Mm. So 
this idea, and I've, I've done this with my students for, you know, shorter periods of time because I don't teach art history classes in the same way, but have wanted them to kind of gain the experience of seeing how much both time and reflection can really show you um, and help and how much they can help you understand both um, the thing that you're engaging with and your own mental processes as they unfold. So you can see, you can kind of notice even small things like I'm really bored at this instance, right? And then if at that period of boredom, you then write something else, what's interesting is you can like, then start to see patterns between particular emotional states that you were in, mm. and perhaps features of the world that are highlighted during those emotional experiences. Wow. You just simply wouldn't be able to get that unless you kind of went back into the reflection and so I think teaching kids that at a young age, being able to sort of sit um, with themselves and with their reflections is really something that's missing and that that's a crucial part of art appreciation is really something that I like to emphasize and think through for myself too. Like something that Claire also said about asking, you know, the right kinds of questions. I think that is also, it, it, you can misconstrue it as being like, there's you know, only specific things we wanna ask about in artwork per se, but um, part of that process is trying to, is learning to understand what is, what is in, what kinds of questions are interesting to yeah. like the art historical community? What kind of questions are interesting to your own self? What's interesting to like mm. understanding parts of your own mind? versus understanding things about the work. And I also sort of like not just education, not just like formal school education, but I also kind of feel like there should be like a more of a challenge to places, to institutions that house these kinds of um, artworks to help us, mm. to help kids and to help adults um, gain this experience better like being in a museum in an art museum can be a really daunting experience for for adults never mind for kids right like it can be a t like they can go in and think about oftentimes you see people standing for like 10 20 seconds in front of a piece and then they're gone right because part maybe they loved it or maybe they were just like i don't get it i don't know what to ask I read the little blurb. Mm. Cool. Let me move on. Um, I don't know what and to so ask. I think, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think like that, that's an important set of skills that we need to start honing a little bit earlier. So one thing I want to add is, and again, uh, anecdotally, um, this, this idea of like questions to ask. So I feel like reading in elementary and high school, middle school, everything was really, really boring for me because there was always a right answer. And it was only until, you know, in undergrad when I put together a group of friends and we started a book club where we realized like there, there was no answer key into which like, oh, what did the author feel in this moment? Like there was no answer key. And each of us had our own interpretation of everything from our own experiences. And I feel like how can in school these questions be taught like asked but then also be graded because mm. what are you grading them on 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when I, <laughs> I always tell my students I'm grading them on um, thoughtfulness and thoroughness rather than being correct, um, right? And it is like, and I have to admit that I have, I don't care very much about grades and so I'm willing, <laughs> to, I'm willing to be cool about a lot of things. Like, um, with art engagement, it's so much more important, at least, right, to, like uh, Sasha was saying, like, to spend the time, right, and to try and to focus and to let the kind of um, the process, like, to engage in the process and let it go where it goes, rather than to get somewhere in particular, right? Like, the whole mm. point is the process. And so, like, how do you assess whether somebody has engaged in a process? Well, you can ask them to keep logs. You can ask them, you can do something like closer to something like contract grading or labor-based grading, right? That allows students to um, meet expectations through the work they're doing rather than mm -hmm. the conclusions they come to. Um, that's what pops up into my head <laughs> about how do you assess something like that? Yeah. It's also just really thorny, I think, because in some cases there are like right answers too. Right? <laughs> like, like I wouldn't want to say that like going back to very beginning of when you're saying like, you know, what is art? I wouldn't want to say like anything goes, right? Like it's not like all of your observations are equally valid necessarily. And some of them can be really sometimes our observations can be really problematic and sometimes they like don't just don't align with history or don't align with what it is like the theory. So I think there's some way, like there are probably some ways that you can be wrong. Um, but focusing on that seems like the wrong approach, right? Like focusing on the correct and, and incorrectness of one's response is the wrong approach. And I think, you're thinking like you're describing of course at the college I think at the college level we're a lot more open to like this kind of open open-minded kind of thinking but I do wonder you know what happens at younger I don't really know enough about you know younger early education to know what like the models are for teaching the arts or for teaching even literature um, mm -hmm. But I can definitely imagine, you know, having a bad experience as a kid and thinking like, I read this book and I, you know, told the teacher my, my interpretation of something and they shut me down and, you know, told me that was the wrong interpretation. And then thinking like, that there is, you know, construing that as like, there is a right or wrong interpretation. So I think this is probably, you know, something related to teaching that needs to be honed and where I'm not even sure we're there yet. Like, I'm not even sure we're at the point of like there, perhaps in literature, right. Or in English, there's, there should, there should already be these conversations about how do we get students engaged in reading? Um, not just in like reading really in reading content, that is of interest to them, but how do we get them to like ask questions and be curious? So like, I think in those capacities, in, in that way, like it needs to be 
we need to start thinking about outcomes a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, what is what are the outcomes we care about in the first place? If yeah. the outcomes, if the outcome is curiosity and engagement and you know deeper understanding, that's very different than the outcome being you know a test score. Yeah. Or you know knowing the right answer for some set of historical facts about mm -hmm. the work of art. And I, I think that's a kind of exactly where we lie too, of like, we're trying to push the boundaries on what outcomes matter most. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we're trying to suggest that some of the outcomes that we've, that we've traditionally thought of as really important about the arts, like beauty or whatever, are yeah, not the ability. fundamental things. Those aren't the things that, drive us to be to create those aren't yeah. the like we those aren't the things that drive us to appreciate um there's something like i'm sure when you experienced when you used to watch movies just for entertainment i'm sure you still watch like a bunch of things for entertainment alone but there's that's a very different kind of looking and you're probably seeking something very different when you're watching a movie that you don't want to just escape into yeah. that you want to like get something transformative out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, okay. So you, you also brought up some good questions that, uh, that I'm curious to, to hear what you think. So this, we talk about, you know, this extended sitting and, and, and reflecting on a piece for, you know, three hours. And I think my question is if I sat with, you know, any painting or woodwork or anything for three hours, I feel like there'd be a lot of things that I would recognize and and, and feelings would come up because of even interacting with that. And, and there's so many things to ponder. So when we select certain art pieces or books to present, how do we do that choosing? How do we pick? Oh my goodness. That there's so, there's so many things that go into choosing, right? I mean, because there's whatever we choose. Well, so it's probably first, it probably depends on the context. So like what I choose for me in like my private life is going to be about like the kinds of things that I prefer. Right. And in at least in part and um, advice from other people and things that I've heard about. Right. So like there's that picking, but if we're talking about the choosing for like educational purposes, like what do we want like young people to be engaged in? Right. We're, we're explicitly telling them like, this is important. This is in the sense yeah. of like worth engaging with, right? Like yeah. we're all going to spend time <laughs> thinking about this. And so it, it, there's a judgment of, of, of um, importance there, or at least value in spending the time. Um, and so like, how do we, how do we decide what's important? So there's going to be a whole bunch of different things in that. It's like some of it is going to be um, quality in the sense of like, is it good at what it does, right? So if we think about those functions of art, right, like that it expresses something very clearly, or it's good at communicate, or it's good at connecting people in particular ways, or it seems to be especially good at helping people understand themselves or their place in the world, right? So there's some kind of quality judgment of that kind of goodness. But there's also like, who who are the students? Who are the particular students? I would I would be really surprised if an outcome of, of, of conversations about like what should students be engaging with would be the same classroom to classroom, school to school, 
right? Because it's, it's really, it's about, because they have such a community element to it, right? It's so much about the people engaging. That seems like the kind of thing that needs to be done a little bit more locally. Um, mm. Does that track? Mm-hmm. Did you I have like anything that. to Yes. Yeah. I like that, especially that last bit that you said too about like, it really but the type the person and who you're engaging with matters a lot and what matters to that community is what really we should be um focusing on rather than like creating some universal set of you know best books that must be read by everyone or best like artworks that must be read or experienced or whatever um there can be a much more nuanced approach to to thinking about the particular communities that we're engaging with, especially if we like, if our whole goal is to suggest that there's, you know, this very social um, connection making process and function that art plays, that's kind of key. Mm. And so I guess my next question is, is when we talk about, you know, there's thousands and thousands of different art forms, how do we go about picking and choosing which ones we even want to present to students? Um, how do we pr- pick one over, you know, one instrument over another instrument, or how do we even pick music over dance? And, and how do we do that? Oh, um, Sasha, <laughs> I think it's the same, like the same kind of idea, right? Like some different art, same different forms of art do different things, mm-hmm. right? So they're good for different they're good for different reasons, right? Like we don't want to, yes, we think of the arts, we broadly construe the arts by saying like literature is art and visual art is art, but that doesn't mean, and that in some ways that means that there are some kind of like general sets of features that we might agree um, lump those together, but they all do different things and we have different kinds of experiences, right? Like music, our experiences with music are distinct from our experiences with, with visual art in many ways. And so we we end up in like, so how do you choose between different art forms becomes a question of like goals again, right? Like yeah. does, you know, do you want people to, um, like literature is a very like explicit kind of form of storytelling. So do you want people to engage with particular kinds of characters mm. um, in this long kind of format? And it's very different from visual art, right? Like the way in which you experience a visual artwork is much faster, right? Like your visual system can like handle that in milliseconds. And so you might pick visual art for a different reason. I mean, perhaps one reason to pick visual art would be that to engage with first for students might be like the whole host of ambiguities that are there, right? Like how many, there's so many different ways to unpack form ambiguity, semantic kind of ambiguities in, in visual art. It's a lot of different ways one could interpret. So it allows for a different kind of set of processes that are being engaged and then like your question I think which is like one that I have no I don't know how to like I it's kind of like it can 
I can give you like an opinion, right? Of like, what yeah, would yeah, I yeah. do? I mean, yeah, right? I guess these like, are all, these are what all. What would like I pick? It. You know, if I was to teach a course where like I was showing visual artworks, how would I, how would I pick between like, would I show, you know, historical, like very, like a big historical overview of the art world or would I focus on more contemporary mm-hmm. kind of works? I think it all depends on your goals. Like one idea that comes in off the top of my head is like, if I am teaching an art course, perhaps I want my students to be able to engage with the works, right? With the physical works. So that might narrow my pool of like, I'm in LA, what can I actually take my students to? Mm. Can I ask them to go to the LACMA? Can I ask them to go to UCLA and like, you know, go to the Hammer Museum and actually see like the contemporary works that they're that they're um, displaying at any given time. So I think that matters a lot too to to people is like, how can you get, how can I, how can you go beyond the classroom? Is there a way to not just show people things on a screen or just have them Mm. listening, but is there a way to get them, you know, in the particular space? So that sort of narrows your pool a little bit. So I think again, like it depends on your goals, but those are the things I would be thinking about or maybe I would be, you know, thinking about the kind of contemporary societal issues that are at play in our current mm. landscape. Like, are there some artists that haven't been recognized um, for some particular reason? Um, maybe that's going back to that distinction we made earlier about the fine arts and crafts. Maybe like there have been marginalized communities of artists that have been thought of as not fine artists, and maybe you want to uplift that work mm. so i think like it all depends on the goals of mm. the person and of the person teaching and perhaps like similarly in you know early education i suspect that there's more like large-scale governmental <laughs> oversight <laughs> yeah. about like what gets picked and that has you know but that's very thorny <laughs> but i think i mean so but some things that come out of that discussion, so like the goals and the resources, right, are both important for like, how would you go about making that decision? But I think something that comes out of what you were just saying, Sasha, is that like, no matter where you are, there are things to engage with, right? There isn't just like, there isn't a set of things like, these are the things you should learn. <laughs> Um, But instead, it's a way of engaging with things. It's a a set of things that play a particular role in life and how to how to understand them. And that can be done in context, richly, wherever you are. Mm. Right. Yeah. No, I really like this. This I mean, I think this is one of the most important things that I'm also trying to get at through, through these conversations. It's that like the goal there must be a goal that's like pretty clearly defined and then we can only then can we really be like, all right, this is what we're trying to do. And I feel like even with that goal, it's so murky. Like it's not really clearly defined anywhere. Like this is what we're trying to do with this subject or this, you know, this particular material. And so that is, yeah. I appreciate you for really highlighting (laughs) that. So I guess my, you know, what I would like to close this conversation with is Um, I would say even looking back to my elementary school education, one of the best parts was we had art class, we had a science lab, but even, you know, science can be so artistic in in its, in that own, you know, creative, uh, just like exploration. Um, And, and so, but all of those programs I think have been cut now. And so um, what do you think is the impact of undercutting our funds for 
uh, art and and what is that? Where does that lead us? Uh, are we ending on this depressing note? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a, a realistic Absolutely. note. Yeah. A realistic, like it's, where are we? Yeah. Oh, you do the sad side. I'll do a little bit. <laughs> so okay. So one thing is. So coming out of the discussion, it's it's gutting, it's awful to lose all of the programs in which students, right, like learn a kind of independence and creativity and engagement with the world. Like, and also like, honestly, like bodily skills, right? <laughs> like how to like make and do stuff that is all, arts and science are both littered with like how to actually do stuff in the world. Um, that's, that's gutting. I will say um, at the same time, moments of hope there, some of my best experiences doing kind of arts-based education have been with um, young people who are incarcerated, who have very, very few resources. And they're going back to what Sasha was saying earlier, um, even in contexts in which like what you're allowed to bring into the classroom is hyper, hyper restricted, right? Because the students okay. are, are incarcerated. Um, you can find ways because humans are so creative of, um, engaging with art forms that don't require as much stuff, right? So like poetry was um, an incredible refuge um, for the students that I was working with, right? Because poetry doesn't make, take a lot of stuff, <laughs> but is infinitely rich. Um, the problem isn't the materials getting cut, it's the teachers getting cut, right? It's the time getting cut. Um, and I think, I think that people who are doing that kind of budget cutting are conflating the like need, like the material needs with the time needs. Right. Does that make mm. sense? Mm -hmm. Do you have more but to like, add? No, that's, that's yeah. 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 I was like, like, Hey, let, let's cut, uh, let's cut art and science. Cause they need a lot of stuff. Right. Mm. Um, they cost more than math and reading. Um, that's not necessarily the case. Right. Yeah. And so focusing on the this the material spending as opposed to the yeah, yeah. wow okay okay cool right yeah <laughs> yeah no, know, it helps look it helps it helps to have the stuff it doesn't not help to have the stuff it helps yeah. to have the stuff but you can do some of the most important parts of it without all the stuff mm. and so I think that like instead of like cutting whole programs, it might be worth thinking about like, how can they be, if we're doing this realistic instead of my like right. my philosophical utopia, <laughs> like what would education look like? If we're doing a realistic thing instead. Um, I mean, yeah. Could, could we still yeah. hold on to some of the time without all the stuff? That's so interesting. This like idea of cutting, of cutting the materials, but the people are really what, it's the teachers and time that really matters. There's this, um, not to get into like an entire thing on, on art education, but something that has kind of historically happened within art education. And it's kind of, I mean, it's still happening now a bit is this idea of like integrating the arts into other disciplines. Mm. So like cut out the arts in and of themselves, cut funding for that, and then just like relegate funding, relegate the like work of teaching the arts to other um, to other disciplines and then incorporate the arts into those disciplines. Kind of like this idea, you, you've probably heard of like STEAM education, right? Like STEM with the arts. So that maybe has a bunch of interesting things, like, right? Like it's really amazing to be able to 
be inner to think in an interdisciplinary way. You know, I'm an interdisciplinary person and I'm a scientist who does a lot of this work in the arts and has some of this art um, training as well. But um, it also ha can have a lot of problems, right? Because now you've kind of lost that expertise from the teachers that have been cut in the arts. Specifically, you've lost that expertise and are putting it, putting it, a, a bigger burden onto folks that are less expert in this area, right? Like maybe they're scientists now who are asked to think about just the ways in which the arts are meaningful to them and that's how the arts are taught. And so what does that mean for, for the arts? I think, it, I mean, yes, it's gutting in a lot of ways, but it also shows us where our values lie as a society and like maybe it, I think something that we've been thinking about a lot is that it shows us that the arts are sort of like instrumental to other things. They're not like important in and of themselves. The way that they're important in and of themselves is for like entertainment or leisure, but they're not like important in and of themselves for education. And I think we want to be careful of that kind of mm -hmm. thought process because we, we, I think all of us probably agree strongly that the arts are fundamental to our lives like people would be oh yeah my life it's, would be. It's, it's impossible <laughs> to live without the arts like none of us yeah. can do it no one has done it every society has had some form of art or some you know expression yeah. and ritual and all those things so like it's dangerous to kind of go into this mentality of devaluing the arts and hyper valuing other kinds of more clearly tangible yeah. ways of think uh, approaches that are you know quantifiable and can clearly contribute to our you know economy like yeah, things yeah. like going in that kind of direction i think is really dangerous and um i love how claire you know brought up this idea of like it doesn't have to be that way like even if we do have less money and less budget um there's a lot that we, there's a lot of rich things we can do without massive amount of resources. I mean, it'd be great if we had all the resources, but <laughs> you know, given that there are limited ones, what can we, how can we still accomplish this work of demonstrating the incredible value of the arts to our lives? And that brings us to the end of our conversation. After listening back to this, I just, there were so many dimes given by both the wonderful speakers who I really want to thank for sharing their time. I kind of want to share some of the things that have stuck out to me the most. One, I need to say fascinating less. I wrote that in big capital letters at the top of my notes. Stop saying fascinating so much. I recently got called out for that by one of my best friends. And she was just telling me, like, I use the word cool and fascinating too much. And I was like, you know what? That's a good point. I want to express my enthusiasm for something, but I think I need more words in my lexicon to actually do that. So watch out from now on. The word fascinating will not be coming out of my mouth that much. This concept of appreciating art, I think, is extremely important in that when we think about art, it's not only in the creation, because at the end of the day, not everyone can do that all the time. But when it comes to watching movies, even TikToks, watching art, watching trees, what you know, there is an aesthetic and artistic way to go about the way we engage with art. 
uh, you know, I, I think in interacting with my dad, for example, this is a place where I think his education has really failed him. We'll be reading the same book or we'll be watching the same movie. And when we come to analyze or discuss it, the depth in which my dad has experienced that work of art, it feels like to me is much less profound than it feels like for me. And so for every book that I read, I feel like it, it does something trans, 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 transcendental, transcendent transcendental transcendental for me i think i said that word right i may not have but and, and i think for each person they have a certain medium where they can really associate in that way i remember i was in new york and i was sitting next to this guy and we were listening to someone play the cello and i ended up striking a conversation with him and he started telling me about all these intricate things about the cello that i had never been aware of he was telling me how there was a difference between the five string and the four string and how it brings different emotions and how it matches this volume of and sound and pitch range of a human and then it was just another way another lens into to appreciate the art and so to talk about how we go about teaching this i think that idea of sitting there with a painting for three hours, I think is that's a beautiful experience where I think, you know, bringing museums. I remember as a kid, we used to go to the play uh, every year or so, and that was so much fun for us. And the museums and the science museums, I think bringing the art and the, and the creativity into the hard sciences is very possible. It just takes a lot more creativity and more resources. To me, a world without the creative endeavors of all the people on the planet just seems extremely bleak to me. I think we all possess this deep level of creativity and I want to see what colors people can produce, what thoughts and ideas and and how, how can the way that you think influence and inspire not only other people but yourself. I think it's so important to tap into that creativity and so I love this transition into STEAM and bringing back the arts into our hard sciences. But apart from that, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I hope you took from this conversation as much as I did. I'm really excited to continue recording. Have a blessed day. And then per usual, stay re-educated. <laughs>